Hello, and welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host, Mixbell Morgan, and we've made it. We have made it to the end of my deep dive into the Purge franchise. Took a little bit longer to get here because, unfortunately, COVID struck me down. I managed to avoid it for the majority of three years, but it finally got me. It claimed another victim. But I'm still here. And I sat down with the wonderful, fantastic Hannah Ogilvy as we discussed the final Purge film, The Forever Purge. So I hope you enjoy listening to our discussion because it was such a fun one with one of my favourite people. So sit back, enjoy and listen. Hello and welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host, Mix Bell Morrigan. Now, if it sounds like I have a bit of a frog in my throat, that's because I'm still in the post-COVID recovery phase, but my voice is well enough for me to be able to talk and record. And I'm delighted to be joined by the wonderful Hannah Ogilvy. And she's coming back onto the pod this time, and we're going to be discussing the forever purge as we tidy up my deep dive into the purge franchise before we start discussing the film i'll just let you know that the director was everardo gout uh the writer is still james demonico so he's written everything from the start right through to the end and uh interesting mixed cast throughout um but that was the main director and writer so hannah you, when I was mentioning that I was doing a deep dive into the Purge franchise, you said you had thoughts on the Forever Purge. So that's <laughs> why you wanted to jump in on this one. So before we start discussing the film in more detail, what was your kind of like overall kind of like takeaway from the film itself? Yeah, I um, I saw this film that came out in the cinema last year. I think it must have been post-COVID, like not many films were out at the time. Um, and I definitely went in with low expectations. I'm a, I am a fan of the Purge franchise, but I'm also like, I'm not expecting much from it. However, I really like this film. <laughs> and like, I, I don't know where it is because I have those low expectations. But I came out and I thought, actually, it's the least subtle piece of media I've seen in a very long time. And we can get into that. But I... I don't mind that. I don't mind that it's not subtle. I don't mind that it's um, a, a, as bold as like an American flag. I, I, I appreciate that. And I went on IMDb like doing research for this podcast and I reached out to you. And this is like, one of the lower rated mm. ones on IMDb. And I know we shouldn't trust IMDb all the time. But I was surprised by that because I don't think it's as, it's as um, bad as its reputation seems to precede it I think it's a it's touching on some really interesting areas which I wasn't expecting from a Purge film I think I mean you'll have watched all the others much more recently than I have and it always talks about um class and racism and political standing in in the United States obviously that's his entire bread and butter but with this I was impressed with the nuance it gave to those to, to that um and uh yeah I was really excited to come on to talk about it because I, I want to defend it I really want to defend this film I think it's good 
Amazing. And um, yeah, like that was, uh, I just like how you're like, you know, adamant, I want to defend it. Like, that's why I wanted <laughs> to do a purge deep dive, because like, I remember always just in having like a soft spot for these films, which they mm-hmm. they tend to be one of those like franchises that gets, I don't know, like just ignored or put pushed to the side yes. as not that spectacular. And no, it, like it isn't. They aren't amazing films, but I do no. think they should be given more weight or attention than they are. Like I genuinely feel that like what these films have been saying and what they've been approaching. Like I'd say in another in like 20 years time, like these films will be looked back as like having been really so like just in the zeitgeist at literally being able to zero in and comment on what was happening in society at the time. In like yes. and like in such a as you said, very much on the surface there's no subtext mm. this is very in your face None. I, that's what I like about it I like how just yeah. like no, no we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna try and be clever we're literally <laughs> di- this is just what we're doing you take it or leave it um uh, yeah yeah um but yeah so and this is one thing I didn't actually realize until I was researching again for this film but because like I was like as I know in my last episode um which listeners will have listened to, it was discussing the purge election year and then the first Mm -hmm. purge. The purge election year is kind of the last of the original trilogy. And then this film, The Forever Purge, takes place eight years after because essentially the new founding fathers of America were originally ousted. And then eight years later, (laughs) the citizens of America are like, you know what the legal murder party I'm happy to have them come back in again yes and like it's funny because up until like just watching everything happening around the world recently (laughs) I wouldn't have thought people would have slid back into extreme fascism that quickly but Uh it, it it happens um but I didn't realize that so much of the purge films are actually taking place in the future because the films do are very clever and never actually dating themselves like they never actually kind of say you know big across the screen the year blah 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 Mm -hmm. but like essentially the first purge film starts in 2014 and then the forever purge is taking place in like 2048 so there's like a full like which is I think it's a whole generation yeah I think it's really fascinating and I think it makes it interesting for potential future Purge films, how much further it goes into the future then. Um, But back onto this one, The Forever Purge. Mm. Essentially, actually, if if you wouldn't mind, if you could go into a general plot um, summary of what this film is doing, and then we can jump into it from there. Yeah, yeah, okay. So um, the film follows our main protagonist, Adela and Juan, who are undocumented um, immigrants um, who have crossed over from Mexico into the United States. They want to pursue the American dream. Uh, and so Adela works in, I think it's like a uh, like a butchery. What, what, what mm, are those words? Yeah, yeah it's um, like a slaughterhouse a, or something like that. Slaughterhouse. Um, and she seems to be very well respected. She's learning English. She listens to English on the way in. Um, 
and Juan, her husband, works as a cowboy on a ranch, which is owned by a very wealthy white couple. And this is all taking place in Texas. That is important. Um, the purge happens. So we get to see how both sides of the coin deal with the purge. And then it ends. You know, they get up the next day. There's blood on the streets. But that's just Adele and Juan seem to accept it. That's just part of the deal if you're going to move to America. That is what the United States has decided is societally acceptable but there is a group um of uh i, I want to say cultists um mm. who decide that they don't want the purge to end and they they in instate the forever purge and basically they just go around continuing the purge and there's no safety um juan and adela team up with the white um, ranch owners who are the tucker family um, and there's obviously going to be some friction there and um, they want to make it to Mexico because Mexico and Canada have opened their borders for refugees of the Forever Purge. And the film just follows them fighting their way to Mex- the Mexican border. Um, and that's about it. That is, it's a very simple story. And I'm actually quite surprised they got to film five before they made this film because it makes, I always thought that with the Purge, like how would you regulate it? How would you make sure it stopped dead on at 7 a.m. the next day? Because I think it's in the second purge when um frank grillo gets shot and then it's 7 a.m and then they can ring mm-hmm. for an ambulance and you hear all the sirens like obviously all these emergency services ready to go to rescue anyone they can i thought how do you regulate that so this film actually really explores like that it's not sustainable people will always want more and especially peoples who believe they are disenfranchised and again, it talks about that and then bringing this cult movement, which you hear on radio broadcasts. Um, it's a fringe Internet movement. And, you, you know, you're meant to make parallels towards QAnon and, mm-hmm. and the rise and that kind of um, extreme right um, uh, faith, for lack of a better term. Um, and, and, you know, they call themselves the Forever Party, they call themselves the Ever After Party, because it's like a fairy tale, the American dreams, a fairy tale. Like, it is not subtle, but I love it. I love the commentary. I think it's fascinating. And going back to what you were saying earlier, actually, Belle, um, about how I think, you know, you're, sorry, you were saying you think that in the future, we're going to look back on these films and go, God, like, you know, they were kind of on the pulse. I have believed that for so long because, and I think America's been there as well because a lot of sitcoms, they'll make jokes about it. So I'm thinking Parks and Rec. Um, I, have you seen Parks and Rec? Of course I have seen Parks okay, and of Rec. Course one you of, have, my of course, yeah. <laughs> one of my favourites. Um, <laughs> but one of my favourite side characters is Joan Calamezzo, who's the kind of uh, TV personality of the town and she uh, on the hyped up on pills on one episode and she goes and I want to tell everyone why I believe the United States should have a purge night and that joke I've heard in multiple shows mm-hmm. and now it's getting to a point where like it's almost like um we like that's like your um your little uh, uh guiding light to show that this character is a right-wing thinking character mm-hmm. and so that's how much the purge is infiltrated, like our pop culture. As much as we don't talk about it in the same vein as, say, the Saw films or 
um which i think of other like popular like or halloween or any of the other popular horror franchises this one seems to infiltrate like on a on a more like deeper social commentary level mm-hmm. um and i i think for that it doesn't get the respect that i i think it deserves because as we become it feels like as the world is becoming more and more divided the and what's happening in the united states at the moment with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Uh, yeah, I don't want to seem like sensationalist at all, but like this kind of mentality and reality doesn't feel far away. And uh, the fact that um, you did mention the writer, James DeMonaco, who's wrote every single one, which yeah. we should talk about, because I think it's so interesting. Um, the fact that he saw this back in 2013, 2012, when he was, you know, done the first one and we're still 10 years later and we feel closer to that more than ever like you know he saw something that, <laughs> that we weren't caught on to in 2013 2013 seems like a nice time in the political sphere and I always say 2016 is a kind of turning point when Trump yeah came in and Brexit and stuff so it's interesting that this was pre that this this mm-hmm. thought this was ideology like was pre on the cusp but it was like but yeah, like it was pre that, but it was also, I think it was literally came in when it was riding that wave of when nationalism was starting to become bigger mm. across Europe and stuff like that. As in like, you know, from like my vague recollection, like you know, I think Trump was kind of almost like the after effect of so much the rise of nationalism across Europe and stuff like that and then leaching over to America that had led yeah. to Trump being possible yeah that's what I think mm. anyway so I think the, the first purge film kind of was just on the cusp of that but yeah it is mm. like like so kind of eerie how much James DeMonaco kind of like saw like everything the way it was going and I think that's probably why one of the reasons why a lot of people aren't that big fans of the Purge films because they do reflect too much of what society looks like. Like it doesn't yes. feel like heightened or exaggerated. Like it kind of mm-hmm. feels like this is believable. Like as in if some fascist government came in and said, hey, the Purge is legal, you could see things happening this way. It feels very believable, which is why yeah. it's scary. And I think a lot of people don't want to actually analyze that or sit with that. Yeah, I, I think as well, thinking back to the other films, the spin they have used to excuse the purge or to validate the purge. So it reduces homelessness. It reduces crime. Uh, it, in, I, I'm trying to think, I think it's in the first purge, um, where they have the behavioral scientist, right? Um, and mm-hmm. you know, she's trying to, she's defending, like, you know, we are violent, aggressive um, a, a species in our in our nature. So we need to have these, um, uh, we need to let go of our impulse, you know, uh, sorry, give in to our impulses. Um, and again, like, that's not, 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 we haven't heard that thing specifically, but we mm. do hear this spin on catastrophic and terrible events all the time so I just think like oh yeah it just feels a little bit too close to home and maybe when I was having a look at and the forever part specifically and IMDb and seeing why why people were reviewing it so low so it sits around 5.4 
and I'm just gonna like quickly get that up just so I, I'm saying things verbatim but yeah just like awful stereotypes um hopefully the purge films don't go on forever uh it's all about stereotyping like that's a lot of the that's the main pe- thing people get annoyed about and I actually find the stereotyping really interesting in this film because one of the things I wrote um was they I feel maybe again you'll correct me because you've seen them more recently and the others it's like you know a lot of uh Nazi ideology a lot of white guys going around killing um poor and brown and black people right Mm -hmm. but in this film the white family isn't pro-purge they are you've got Dylan who's the kind of um the son um and he clearly doesn't like Juan and doesn't like Mexicans but he isn't pro-purge he doesn't believe it should lead to violence and again I think with all this division that's happening in the world we get so wrapped up in what side of the fence you're on and we forget about the intersectionality of it Mm -hmm. and I really appreciated that this film is showing it's not binary you know I'm not I'm not defending Dylan in in, in his um, ideological thinking at all but it was and it was interesting to see that he obviously doesn't necessarily agree with immigration but he doesn't believe that Juan and Adela should be killed for that and then you've got his wife who completely disagrees with him you know she, uh, there's a, a a kind of throwaway line about getting a Mexican nanny cuz um his wife who again I will just look up her name is why Cassidy oh that's the actress's name as well um, <laughs> Cassidy uh, uh, she's pregnant which is again a, a big plot point of the film because she naturally goes into early labour with all the stress going on I do not blame the woman um, so they say oh you get like a Mexican nanny to help with the kids and um, Dylan says I don't want my kids speaking Spanish and she's just like calm down <laughs> just like I know kind of brushes it aside like it's not that's not the biggest issue here exactly and just when you're like you know highlighting the two of those like that's why when you just read out that you know criticism of the film like or that low review of like you know stereotypes and stuff like that to me I don't I don't even think it had that many typical stereotypes like it had a no. lot of nuanced like characters like even Dylan and yeah. um, Dylan Tucker played in the film by Josh Lucas like mm-hmm. yes they highlight him having those kind of like moments of yeah pretty blatant racism of like oh, I don't want my kids speaking Spanish in the house and mm-hmm. we don't need a na- Mexican nanny but they show that because of the fact that his character literally goes through a change of personality over the film at the Mm -hmm. very end of the film as he's holding his baby when they're safe in Mexico he like he's you know he's like gracias Juan muchas gracias Adela like he's speaking Mm. Spanish to the people who helped bring his baby into the world who helped keep his wife safe absolutely and then and then yeah and then his wife clearly has no problem having Mexican people in the house and stuff like that so yeah it's just Mm nuanced and there I don't think there was stereotypical characters so I don't even really understand that the only thing and I mean I can't speak for these reviewers but the only thing I could think of is that they think stereotypes within the villains and then I'm like Mm. oh are you sympathizing with the villains 
because that's not what you're going to do. <laughs> um, well, in this specific situation, anyway. Um, I just find that, like, yeah, I, I, re- I actually really love Dylan's arc. Um, yes. Uh, I, I find him fascinating from the beginning. And again, this idea of, like, he is jealous of Juan. So we should say Juan is, like, a, he's a, a cowboy on this ranch. But he's a very natural cowboy. He's like a horse whisperer of mm-hmm. sorts. And he shows up Dylan without meaning to, just, just by his pure like talent. And Dylan feels very upset about that. And I can't remember if he says specifically, but it definitely it is implied that he doesn't believe you can have a brown cowboy. Mm. And so he and he also doesn't like that um Dylan's father, uh Caleb who's played by Will Patton, um, he also liked Juan, and he has no problem with hiring um, Mexicans to the point he even gives all of his ranch hands a bonus to keep them safe through the purge, which, again, it just shows that he is... Like, I hate to say that um, Juan had to prove himself, but he almost like did have to prove himself to Dylan that he was a of sound mind. He was a very capable individual, mm-hmm. and also, um, I think seeing Juan with Adela and like their relationship, they have a very close relationship that humanizes Juan in Dylan's eyes. Um, and and yeah, and then like you say, they get them get Cassie over the border and you know born a baby is born in Mexico so effectively got Mexican citizenships like that and I love um the so throughout the film Dylan calls Juan 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 like and variations of the sorts but in the end he makes the effort like you say to speak Spanish but also to pronounce that Spanish J the Juan and I just just think that's such a good little nuance Mm -hmm. and I loved it um and then you also have so you've got casting his wife who like I say her main peril is the fact she's pregnant and then his sister um Harper who is this incredibly capable independent woman and but Dylan's constantly trying to be like baby her going like, oh no um yeah, I hate when films do this but they always call each other like sister I'm like no one in real life calls each other brother or sister but they always like just to make just so you know the familial <laughs> familial connection between these two characters but, um, you know, she, she's more than happy to go out, guns blazing, protecting, protecting Juan, protecting um, Titi, who's their friend, who's also kind of in this ride for a bit of the film. Um, and there's a bit of a romantic connection between mm. those two. And I just think, I mean, they are effectively like, uh, again, uh, uh, this is probably where the stereotype comes in, but they are the good white people of the film. And then you have, the not so good white people of the film like you've got some people who've literally got swash stickers like tattooed on their face yeah. <laughs> and I was like so this is what I mean by the not subtle part not subtle um but I think not every film needs to be subtle not every film has to be like drenched in subtext and mise-en-scene it's just like it's it's a film about the political up- unrest of the United States of America 
watch <laughs> yeah exactly um but yeah and actually I just there's one of the bits that you mentioned there was you know with um Caleb or played by Will Patton like how he gives mm. out the you know the purge bonus to his ranch house yes. that just reminds me of that like there was just that scene where it was like one of the characters who it turns out is ends up being one of the forever purgers but mm-hmm. he just has that like really like for like from one of the characters like that you'd never expect to say this type of sentence but he kind of just has that like sentence of like you know this money is just to keep us loyal and willing to be exploited for our labor and it's just like this <laughs> I just loved it it just kind of felt like okay that moment kind of felt like it was James Monica going okay I want to kind of throw a dig at capitalism and stuff like that I don't know which character to go with okay I'm just gonna go mm-hmm. with this character so we kind of felt a little <laughs> bit like the writer just using a character as a puppet to say something um which again you don't need subtext it's just in your face sometimes it's that very sometimes that just happens but um I want to know what you think about that particular character because usually so mm. far and it's something that you kind of did touch on it um already but you know, so far in the Purge films up to this point, any t- mention of class, it's always been showing, you know, minorities and people of color being the disenfranchised, the poor, the working class, and then showing white people basically being the elite who are exploiting everyone. Whereas this film kind of plays with that a bit more, where it has this yeah. character who kind of like seems to represent the type of white working class that feels I don't know like left behind by their white brothers who are in the elite like I want to know what you think about what this character represents and this scene itself yeah I again I really like the inclusion of this character I think this is very um much a a great reflection on where we are uh, what we see in in our society now this this um uh, quote-unquote disenfranchised white male um usually but obviously both well all genders um and what I really like is again we we see this we have seen these um mass shooters particularly in the states but it's happened in in like New Zealand it's happened uh in Canada uh, of these uh young white men who believe that they are not getting what they are owed so therefore they go and kill x amount of people um and so this inclusion of a character feels so so realistic mm-hmm. and I really love um the, the kind of standoff he has with the with the Harper family and he says how um, you have all the power because you've got all the money. But now I've got a gun, so I have all the power. And again, going into like, I appreciate we're two non-Americans talking about gun laws in, in America. So probably can't be as nuanced as we would be if we were from there. But just that sense that I like regardless of how much money you have, it does not matter because I've got a gun to your head. Mm-hmm. So in this new world that the forever purges are creating, money doesn't mean anything because it matters if you've got a weapon and going back to this idea of like the right to bear arms the uh second amendment 
blah, blah, blah. It's, I think, guns and weapons are seen as the great equaliser and they are showing it in the scene. And then, uh, you know, it goes off about like ranting to to the Harpers, to, to Caleb about how they're being exploited. But then I love Caleb's monologue. Yes. Um, you know, he's he's distracting, first of all, because Caleb is smart. <laughs> he's distracting uh, the, the guy, I can't remember the character's name, but he's distracting him as um, Juan and Titi are like getting guns and going to ambush and save the family. Mm-hmm. But he's saying like the, the people that you are, that you, you believe are doing you right, um, the billionaires of the world, they're the ones who've put you in this position to begin with. Yeah. It's not, it's not Caleb. It's the people who've created the purge because they're, they're, they've basically let their citizens get rid of the problems that they've created. So they're getting rid of homelessness because the homeless people can't defend themselves against the purge. So these, you know, the lower class are then killing them on purge night. And then that's no longer, you know, a person who's sucking on the teat of capitalist United States of America. Yeah. But you could... And then, and then, you know, again, I can't remember what the, the nuances of, of the speech be saying that like they're, they're not your friend. They're not, they want you to stay at this level. And I can't, I'm just thinking, well, that's, that's all these Trump fans. Like Trump is not your friend. Trump doesn't give a shit about you. Like he, he is not, he is not your savior. And um, I think about with all the Elon Musk fanboys. I'm like, like the uh-huh. man is, is not your savior. He is like, he doesn't give a shit about you. You are labor. The Jeff Bezos, like there's that report that says Amazon's going to get through the US labor force in like four years because how they treat their staff. You are cattle. And I don't know, I don't know where this disconnect comes from because I'm not part of it, but I don't know where this, this subsect of society who have somehow been brainwashed and maybe that's a severe word but I'll go with it brainwashed into thinking that these elitists these specific elitists are working in their best interests when all the evidence shows the opposite and you know I know we get fake news and they do touch on the media influence in this film as well just very slightly but I think they could have gone harder um but yeah like there's just this massive disconnect with uh, they want us us like the the harpers and this guy um to to fight against each other rather than going against the actual people who put you in that position and they make that very clear from the very first purge when they said government officials of level 10 cannot be touched and they're the ones who in, in 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 incited the purge but they can be touched but everyone else can like this is this isn't fair there's a hierarchy yeah and you're playing into it exactly and not only as we see throughout the purge franchise as it develops not only are are the new founding fathers are the ones that incited the purge but they're also the ones that are responsible for most of the killing of people as in yeah the, the film The First Purge is in the very first one that takes place mm-hmm. when they host it on Staten Island mm-hmm. as the experiment. The whole point is like they'll, they, you know, everyone is given $5,000 to survive the experiment, blah, 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 blah. And most people 
all they do is they just kind of want to party like yes like yeah the the most extent of any type of crime is maybe some small you know breaking and entering or stealing but that's it and then like the new founding fathers are like mm, this isn't looking good we you know we need this to be a success so we can roll it out across america and then they just roll in their uh, right-wing fascist and militia to start killing everyone yes yes and so even like that just you know she goes shows to the fact that across the board you can't even make a general statement about you know americans or just humans are inherently violent because people are different some people might Mm -hmm. be some people just want to have a nap and eat snacks you know everyone's different (laughs) everyone's Um, different and we should have the choice (coughs) choice. exactly um but yes and also actually another part of caleb's uh, monologue as he was you know, saving time for Juan and TT to and come in for the rescue, as he makes that brilliant comment as well about the fact that the entire America is stolen land. Talks about how mm. this land has been stolen yes. by the Native Americans. So mm-hmm. you know, he kind of talks about how you know, do you you feel like you know you're at the bottom of the ladder? Like you know, the people who were here first, who we stole their land from they're the ones who should feel aggrieved they're the ones who should feel mm-hmm. anger like you know and he it's oh I just love that whole soliloquy and what a brilliant mm-hmm. actor to have do it Will Patton oh, oh like, I know he's one of those actors that you if I see his name on a cast list I know I'm gonna have fun with a film or a show uh-huh. he's just that good like you know and he's he always <laughs> plays like he always plays very similar type of characters but he does it brilliantly yes Yes, absolutely. I, I, I really love that moment. And it's this idea of self-awareness. And I think I, I, that's, that's again, I, I'm going to keep praising this song so it deserves it. The nuances of the character, they, they did really think about this. And don't be wrong, like, I mean, all the other villains that we see, granted, don't have that same level of nuance or sensitivity, but we only have so many run minutes. Yeah. The guy, the, the guy who instigates it, so the the the, the ranch hand who turns against the family, he has so much nuance in his character, and I I, I just think like I wouldn't call that a stereotype, like per se. It's mm. it, because it, in some ways I not that I agree with him, but I understand his logic. I understand his logic. I don't agree with it. I get it. Um. But yeah, I just think I, I think it's a very well done scene. And also it's in broad daylight. So all purge films take place at nighttime because yeah. the purges from you know whatever, like eight o'clock to seven a.m. And th- this scene is happening in broad daylight. And I just think that's such a good like juxtaposition of what we're used to with these films. Exactly. And I, I really, really enjoy it. it. It just feels like a different beast. And I think, just can we could we touch on the writer for a second? Yes. Just because, how rare is it we get one writer for an yes. entire franchise? Like I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by that. If I'm honest, I can't quite believe it because we just don't get it. Yeah, it happens so rarely, and I think it's one of my favorite things about this franchise is because you can tell it has the same voice throughout it you know yeah and I think that just lends to it so well so like regardless of which purge film you're watching 
they feel so interconnected and they touch on so many of the similar points because it's the same person making them in different ways and you know doubling down on them expanding on them so yeah but also it is so rare hats off to Jane and Jason Blum Blumhouse for giving Mm. James DeMonaco the reins for this but actually when you're talking about that moment of that scene happening in daylight and a juxtaposition Mm -hmm. you know I think it was a great way of like the film letting you know this is something different but also one of the things that like I felt after watching the film particularly the second time today like the ever after purgers and like that ranch hand that had the standoff with Caleb and all of that like that those type of characters to me they kind of felt really oddly reminiscent of like the January 21 Capitol riots Mm. because I think like as the film kind of like shows is that like this is the after like this is what happens when the system you create goes out of control and like you know it is the sickness that's been created and they've lost control and now the virus is spreading um so yeah I thought I just I want to know what you think because to me it felt Mm. very oddly reminiscent of that particular time in very recent modern history yeah oh a hundred percent I I I the kind of uprising right um and I remember thinking when I first watched it going oh this right like this is very timely but this film was filmed before the COVID like it was meant to come out July 2020 so this is way before January 6th and in some ways I'm like I I mean I I think obviously there, there had been um warning signs that 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 was going to happen that's where the the nat almost natural escalation of events was going um but at the same time I don't know whether it's uh hope that nothing will turn out as bad as it seems or or whether it's ignorance but you know these things are happening and James DeMonaco as much as like it's a it's it is a different version of our reality um he is say you know he, he is I'm not saying he's a prophet or anything but he can some, somehow prophesize what where where the political landscape is going and the violence and the aggression that's becoming more and more accepted and um, we're becoming desensitized to it and um, we're becoming less and less shocked and it's 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 it, and then it culminates these massive moments where tens of hundreds of people can storm a heavily governed building with elected officials inside um, build a noose outside and chanting to hang the vice president and that's and they're still doing the court case now they're still doing investigation now like 18 months later yeah like it's like I, 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 I mean it's one of those things like I'm looking at the outside in. I'm doing it wrong. You know, UK is not smelling of roses either. Um, so you know, I'll shit on my own country as well. Don't worry. Um, but I'm just like, look at it. It's going to happen again. The the way the political landscape has gone is um, it's emboldened people, right? So if we have people in political power, 
um, at the, the, the highest offices of our countries who are openly racist, openly bigoted, openly homophobic, openly transphobic, openly sexist, mm-hmm. then that means the people who support that, who voted for those people are going, oh, well, I can say that then too. Oh, well, if the President of the United States says that we should protest this illegal election, then, well, he's given us the go-ahead. Let's go for it. And I'm like, yeah, that's going to happen. Why is everyone shocked by it? We, we, we are being shown time and time and time again that that is what's happening. And I genuinely don't know how you resolve this divide. <laughs> I wish I knew, but I am not a political pundit. I'm very much in my own little liberal bubble. But it just feels like this film is, you know, it's the writing on the wall and the fact that, you know, it was able to predict what was going to happen, even to the point of like some of like the imagery yeah. and like some of the outfits that the the, the, the the forever purgers are wearing was reminiscent, you know, a lot of black, a lot of bandanas, um, you know, a lot of American flags everywhere. Um guns just guns everywhere and actually just one thing i'd like to touch on is um the guns of the film Mm. um so when i watched this film it must i can't remember there had just been another um shooting in the united states um and whenever that happens it feels like the media or political pundits always talk about this idea of there are good people with guns and there are bad people with guns yeah and you know it's not the gun that kills the the person it's the person that kills the person and i think this film is talking about that as well so Mm -hmm. our main our main party all have guns and we are meant to see that as positive but whenever we have um the forever project with guns that's negative and I think it's it is talking about gun culture because this is seen where um, Adele has been wrongfully arrested because these police people think that she is um, a forever well a forever perjurer. Um, but there's someone in the van already, and he can identify the sounds of the guns. Yes, with with, with, the, with the sound, and then he says something like, "Oh, do you hear that? That's like an American symphony." Yeah. It's not subtle. <laughs> no, very, very little subtlety going on with this film. And also that was, that line was uttered by the man with the swastika on his face. So, yes, you know, yes, yes. Very not subtle, very on not the nose. Subtle. It's very much just mm-hmm. James DeMonaco just literally kind of like banging the drum in your face, like kind of going here, yes. pay attention. But yeah. I love it. No, I know. I still, and I love it too, but, it, but still... Um, the point remains that, like, obviously, we're as the audience, we like, oh, he's crazy. But then Adele will go pick up a gun, and we're we're meant to be like, oh, yeah, she's got a gun, thank God. And I, I can't explain the nuance of that, and I don't know if that's intended or not because I think in every Purge film, our hero gets a gun at some point because it's almost like, well, they need to because everyone else has got a gun, so you have to level up. And I'm like, but that's the that isn't that part of the problem, isn't that because every, if everyone else has got a gun, I've had so many conversations about this with my friends. But you know, if you were to move to the United States, would you get a gun? And more often than not, like the the reply is, well, everyone else has got a gun, so I need to get one too because you have to feel like you're on the same level. Like going back to that equalizer, 
And it's not because you want to use it, but it's in case someone else uses their gun on you. And I find that the film, as much as it's not subtle, I think it's trying to touch upon that, but not, it doesn't go too deeply into that. Um, and we get some explanation of like how Adela uses a gun. And I had an issue with that. because I'm like, you don't ask why the men can use guns, but we have to have a backstory of why the only woman <laughs> can use a gun. Because <laughs> that's so unusual. Um, but yeah, I just, um, what, what, what do you think about that? Do you think James is like trying to tell us something with guns? It's interesting. Like, I don't know, like, because... Like part of me was saying, like you know, if the Purge films, like they can only take place in America, because America is that country that has such a strong gun culture. Um, mm-hmm. like as in, if you took the Purge as a front, you know, as a idea, you know, if you took it and set it in another country, it would look completely different because there wouldn't be the hero and the villains both have guns and it's basically who's going to be able to get the last shot in and Mm -hmm. so yeah I don't know it's interesting but then maybe he is trying to say something subtlety because at the end of the film it's you know Juan and um, Dylan using their cowboy skills they take down the villain so mm-hmm. neat, like a gun isn't used to actually subdue and take down the villain, but the gun is used to get the final kill. That's what you know, as yes. Juan go, you know, just goes says something and bandejo and shoots him yeah. straight in the head. Um, yeah, I think he, he he goes translate this or do you understand yes. this or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, very yes. kind of just like I've had enough of your bullshit. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah I th- one thing though, I thought that was a really cool scene of showing again Dylan's arc, but also D- mm. like Dylan and Juan working together, kind of both we're both cowboys. Let's use do our cowboy shit and take this <laughs> bad guy down. Um, and I thought it was really cool seeing the roast being used and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know because yes, in every film, guns are used. Even like you know, in the Purge anarchy and purge election year when you've got like the resistance and the rebellion fighters who are like rising up against the new founding fathers they're all basically an armed militia like you know Mm -hmm. so guns are just present so I don't know if something's being said about it or maybe the fact that they are so present that Mm -hmm. it literally is just you know you turn and you see a gun you can't maybe that is the commentary the commentary is simply the fact that the you know the purge experiment it's believable and it makes sense in america because Mm -hmm. of the presence of guns maybe that's the kind of wider message like yeah i don't know yeah i don't know if there's any specific message about the good guy with the gun versus the bad guy with the gun. I think it's more of a blanket, you know, everyone has guns to try and survive the purge and the purge only can take place and exist in this country mm-hmm. because of guns. Like it's kind of like a yeah. self-fulfilling cycle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So it's like, 
yeah maybe it is a commentary just the abundance of mm-hmm. them because it just I mean like whenever any of our characters uh runs out of bullets or loses a gun another one will pop up yeah so <laughs> and maybe that's just a plot device but I, I as you know people who live in countries where guns are not <laughs> not in circulation like that it is it it did slap me in the face a little bit um yeah just I'd, I'd love to like see where the next film goes I don't I don't know if there is a next film but I would I've, be surprised with everything I read it. something um, or saw something I think James Monaco is planning a Purge 6 like oh, okay. um, I don't know what the title of it will be but from what mm-hmm. I remember reading it looks like it's going to be taking place 10 years after the events of the Forever oh Purge God. so it's oh, kind of like you know the landscape of America is obviously completely changed and yeah I saw some saw yeah because I was googling the timeline of the Purge films and then that popped up mm. saying Purge 6 so yeah I think there might be something in development oh, yeah. somewhere it's it's called Purge oh no it's a short film sorry it says it's a short film in 2023 but it's called Purge 1v all Mm-hmm. interesting interesting um i mean to be fair actually i think little short films would benefit the purge franchise quite a bit just to fill in a bit through the gaps like with with you, know, you mentioned at the very beginning that this film takes place eight years after election year so they've had eight years of a non nffa person and then something's happened in america again to shift back to that way of thinking and I'd love to know like where's that come from like what's yeah. driven that but again maybe I don't need a whole film maybe I just need a little little short film to explain um and to be fair they kind of do that in this film the, the opening credits of this film are quite good where they try and catch you up with that's what's happened and now we're back and now we've reinstated the purge the, the everyone's favorite purge holiday um I, I'm just gonna check my notes for a second um uh yeah so uh, the QAnon of it all um so that's the commentary of the uh the ever after forever purgers um and I think there's like a shock that it's happening and people didn't see it coming in 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 this world right um and then the media like oh like you know it's like a fringe you know fringe group and it's a but no one realizes how big it is and how many believers of this ideology there were in the United States to basically overtake the entire country. And I, again, there have been a lot of studies around who, who believes in QAnon, and that number is so much higher than you would ever think. It's something that's in the millions of people subscribe to it. But again, because QAnon is so far-reaching mm-hmm. you'll have people believe in conspiracy theories that they don't realize originate in QAnon and that's how they get you so like do you remember like the the way the Wayfair thing where people thought Wayfair was like um sending kids around and um, trafficking kids no this is news okay. to me <laughs> <laughs> this is so random so the website way I think it's called Wayfair right yeah it's called Wayfair they were selling like cabinets but for like tens of thousands of dollars and it became this like conspiracy theory that um Wayfair were selling 
these cabinets and if you knew if you were in the know that was actually to buy a kid because like these cabinets were called like you know cabinet stephanie or cabinet victoria because like you know it's just weird names for furniture so this uh, theory went out there going oh they're they're tracking children through this website um and it's completely nonsense and a wafer came out with a reason of why these things were so expensive or if it's a mistake or whatever but what i kept on seeing was these creators um, on tiktok or instagram who were kind of peddling the story they would say well, regardless, you know, we should be saving the children. And um, this is this is about um, making sure that we, if we're talking about um, kidnapped kids, then it's no bad thing. And kind of uh, spinning it in a way that even if it's false, the sentimentality of it is good. And that phrase, save the children, is a QAnon phrase. But if you said to someone, oh, do you know about the Wayfair thing? Your average person would never know that's about QAnon. And I think this, um, this, uh, the forever after people, ever after people, that is the exact same. Like, I don't think the guy who we meet at the beginning, the ranch hand who goes against the, Har- um, the Harpers, he has a very um, distinct ideology in his head, which is like class. And he feels disenfranchised and he feels because he's a white person, he deserves more out of life. Mm-hmm. Whereas the uh, dad, daddy and mum, mama the car- mother and father that's it the kind of um the bad guys they meet when they're trying to get across in mexico yes. and they kill the wife and yeah mother and father they're just racist but yeah. they also believe in this um this ideology and i think actually probably think that's probably the most subtle part of it where you have these different threads or different veins and everyone's kind of bought onto it for different reasons, but it's all for the same goal, which is anarchy. And I thought that was really, I think that's great because that's exactly how QAnon has spread as far as it has, because it keeps finding weird and crazy theories that different subsects of society will buy into. And then it'll, you just go down that rabbit hole. And before you know it, you're onto like the real weird creepy dark shit that QAnon fundamentally believes in but it's smart enough to know well you're not going to believe us straight away so here are these little veins to get you here and that's what the forever after group is doing as well yeah exactly and actually just when you're kind of talking about that about how like you know the ranch hand at the start like you know he's got his very kind of set regimented beliefs um but his beliefs like you know don't seem to be at least anyway coming from like a place of like being a racist or anything like that because he's like seems to be very mm. like you know amicable like you know very friendly with you know Juan and yeah. Titi like he seems to yes. be on their side a lot of the time mm-hmm. you know so I think it just seems to be from this he believes he should have better standing in society and he's been let but let down and then as you said you've got just the blatant racist who believe white people are better than everyone and it's like mm-hmm. and it's but they come into the same like opposite spectrums of the same ideology like and it's kind of like you know and it to me it feels very kind of reminiscent of so much of you know so many like prominent turfs in the UK and Mm. everywhere else in that like you know they'll literally like you know jump in the jump in bed with fascists because of the fact that the fascists are also 
transphobic they'll yeah. ignore the yes. blatant you know they'll ignore everything else that goes against what they would stand for because of the fact that these fascists are transphobic and I think it's kind of very similar mm-hmm. reminiscent if I would like the ever after like that type of people will look past you know something and they might actually have a standing on if it gets their agenda if it gets their if they get served in some way it's interesting yes. I think the film does a good job of showing the nuances of just humans and how different people mm. function differently and tribes and how people mm-hmm. come together differently um mm-hmm. but yeah um actually there's one thing before we kind of start finishing up but it's I want to know what you kind of think about this because it's something that always stands out to me is throughout watching all the purge films Mm. is and I want to know what you think it like the type of message it sends or what's if what it's commenting on but in so many of the purge films so many people who are purging who are taking part in the purge who you know are taking up forth their right to go out and be violent Mm. dicks they're usually always deliberately like wearing masks or hiding their faces and stuff like that despite that what they're doing is something that's legal and permissible and Mm. I want to know what you think about that like you know what that is kind of commenting on like I, I I think James DeMonico is saying something very I think he's like saying something with that in that people are more willing to be violent and aggressive when they know they're anonymous even if they're allowed to be aggressive and violent Mm -hmm. if they can be seen they won't do it it's the anonymity that grants them that so I want to know what you think about that you know use of masks throughout the purge films yeah that's a really good question because when I think of the purge I think of the masks the cosplaying Mm. of it all and I think um they're iconic you know and quite scary but you're right I think as we've grown up on the internet we know people are a lot more unabashed when there is a screen uh, in between them and, and their target right so maybe not necessarily anonymous but definitely there's a there's a separation of self and victim and maybe the mask the masks being used are are the kind of like yeah the physical world version of screens where yeah the the anonymity means that they can be as heinous and violent and aggressive as possible but they can also go into work the next day and know that no one knows what they did right um I mean there are definitely people who don't wear masks I think in the first and the second film you see like these especially wealthy people who pay for the privilege of purging and they don't tend to wear masks from memory but the people on the street um and the people on the street tend to to be the more working class characters they're the ones wearing the masks yeah. Um, and, and, and maybe it's because they're going to go kill their neighbour, whereas the people not wearing the masks, the elites of the world, they're killing people they don't know. So yeah. they don't need to be anonymous. 
because they're never going to see them again. They only come across this class of people during purge night when they want to kill them. But the other guys, um, I'm trying to think, like uh, in this in the second film, when you've got the the white couple whose cars broke down and they're being hunted, mm-hmm. they're all wearing masks, right? And first of all, it's very intimidating. Like, sorry, from a plot point, it serves that purpose. But it's also like, you know, this is this could be someone you get on the bus. It could be someone you get on the train. This is your people, and you don't want to be seen killing your own people. And I yeah. think that might be it. And even even um, the fact that the spin, the media in these films is all about, you know, uh, for those for those of you participating, good luck or whatever it is. Um, the, it's very pro purge, but it, it might also be the shame as well that you have given in to your uh animalistic um whatever whatever the whatever they're calling it like you know we're violent peoples um and that aggressiveness and maybe there is a shame with that that you feel the need to do it Mm. um but but then I, i i am struck with this class thing where not everyone feels shame about it um yeah i i definitely think there is some kind of um duality with screens because we know like you know touching on you say about the tariffs and twitter people are Mm. so much more evil online than they are in in person and maybe having a mask on dehumanizes you so you can see your victim as not the same as your or or takes away that emotion because even though the whole purge uh relies on this idea that humans are violent people i mean i don't i can't imagine it's easy to go around killing you know a few people and then going back to work the next day so you must have to be sensitized from it and maybe the mask helps yeah like it would actually be really interesting to see some form of like a you know film or series like I know there isn't a purge tv series on Amazon yeah which I need to actually watch but it'd be really Mm. interesting to see something that you know goes into the actual after the fact of the purge you know that you know goes into what happens after because like you know so all the films are very much the night of the purge and that's it and yeah I'd love to see that kind of really interesting you know analysis of what happens afterwards Absolutely. And actually, there's that really sad moment when Adela walks into oh the abattoir. That's what's called an abattoir. And all of her employees are there. And you're like, you don't get told what happens, but you're I assume you're meant to take away that they didn't make it. And that is so sad. Like just like all of us are like just this empty room of people because they're all most of them were 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 brown people, therefore like prime targets on that night. Yeah, and I don't even think Adela has worked out what's happened in that moment. And maybe it's not as as black and white as that. Maybe the Forever Purgers have now got them in the next day. But some there are stories there of those women who didn't make it into work that day. And then yeah. how do you how do you move on? And it's just oh, it's just so sad. But it was just it's like half a second of a scene. And I was like, no. Exactly. And exactly. And like maybe maybe I'll blame this on COVID brain, but I was like, that was actually one of the things I wrote down because I was just like, 
I don't think that scene was intended to be humorous, but like when she kind of just looks around at the empty room and goes, where is everybody? I just laughed out loud because I was, because <laughs> <coughs> I was like, I was like, clearly her employers didn't tell her the possibility that she'll turn up to work the next day and colleagues might not show up. Like, so yeah. I just, I just thought that was absolutely hilarious, even though obviously it's supposed to be, I guess, a bit more poignant and sad, but I just literally <laughs> just laughed. I was just... I was, I was sad. I'm just imagining you there just laughing, going, Adela, they died. <laughs> they're, they're no longer here. And I'm like, no. I think it was just her, like, just very kind of just casual delivery of it. Like, cause, because <laughs> she didn't seem sad, as in, I think, like you said, yes. I don't think she realised so no, I think she's she to realize. no so I think she just kind of just casually kind of just goes oh, where is everybody so I just yeah. found that hilarious <laughs> yeah no but to be fair to Adela as well they've actually had a really easy purge because they've you know blockaded yeah. themselves they've hired a militia so I guess maybe to defend her she thinks oh everyone just deals with the purge that way yeah and and maybe her walking in and realizing like you know not everyone could afford to pay for that service and unfortunately, that because of that, because they can't afford it, they're they're victims. They become victims, and um, yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> we have very different reactions to that scene. Um, but yeah, I think I think I, my last thought will be: I really love Adela's character. I think she's so cool and so competent and brave and. I actually think all the female characters are good to a certain extent. I think they are all incredibly um, strategic and they they hold a lot of the emotional labour. I mean, I guess women do it anyway. Um, but she, they they all seem to be a lot braver than the men because the men keep wanting to bicker and they keep and the women are the ones who are like, no, our goal is this. Um, and um, I I really liked that representation I thought it was strong it pa- it passes the Bechdel test which is always a win in my book because so few films do um and yeah I, I um see seen it for the second time now and if people haven't watched this film in the in the purge line I would fully recommend it I think it's great amazing I was literally going to be asking that question so that is fantastic yeah oh my god I read your mind you were ahead of the game but yes I loved (laughs) I loved Adela's character and Juan as well I thought his was a great Mm -hmm. character and like just really good actor as well in Tena Huerta like he was like really grounded and really like I thought I really enjoyed his performance overall the cast was I thought they worked off worked off each other really well and the one character that I'm just like I wanted to see if he survived was Adela's boss you know the one that like helped oh I know yes um like, oh. oh I can't remember the character's name but you're gonna he was, get it now he was like the one actual black man in the film yeah but, like I love how he Darius helps, Darius he helps Adela survive and then he's going no no you go I'll be fine on my own I need to get back to my family and then we don't see him ever again. And I'm just like, did he get to his family? I hope he did. But also, he was cool. Why didn't we get more dad? He was so good. And it, it, absolutely, he was like the total like knight in shining armor uh, for, for Adela in multiple situations. But I totally agree. But I think that's what, I mean, I guess you could say this of all, of all 
um, horror films or even thrillers or action films where like it affects massive amounts of people. Like there are so many stories that could be told and we've just yeah. got time to focus on this one. And I think, I do think that was a conscious choice that you are meant to be like, but, but what about that, that family? Where's their film? And did they get out? Did they get to Mexico? Also, just my last point, because I wrote it down. Why are the borders only open for six hours? You can't do anything in six hours. <laughs> like, they've got to get to where San Jose, I think, it is in six hours to cross the border. I was like, that's why. <laughs> I know, a very short window of time. And also, especially considering how vast America is. Like, as in, there are some places that you're going to be more than six hours away from either the Mexican or Canadian border. Easily. So it's kind of just like, right, well, if you can't make it there in six hours, that's it you know good luck <laughs> like, it was just, I was just like that's so harsh um I, I mean luckily like our, our protagonists are relatively close they could make it but I just thought when I heard that on the radio and I was like that's no time what about the people who are like in the middle who <laughs> got like what they meant to do I just find that funny yeah yeah I guess mm-hmm. they had to come that's just story, you know writing they had, I to go, know. they had to make it more we, tense I know with these mistakes <coughs> and I'm just going that's not fair <laughs> well, actually, I guess it means that worked if if it made us angry it worked I guess oh um, you know what yeah that's a fair point <laughs> but I think that sounds like a very good point to close us out on um because we managed to talk a lot a lot about so many of the different things going on in this film like so much going on Um, and so before I let you go where can people find you and your work and support you yeah um so I am on twitter as at queen b says and I'm on instagram and letterbox as at queen beast um, I tend to write uh, most for Ghouls magazine. So we look at horror through the feminine and non-binary lens. Um, and my work tends to be reviews and also talking about things like uh, the fat representation in film, which is something we've discussed before. And also just um, my one of my later or more recent uh, pieces was around uh, menstruation and how that's represented in film. Amazing. Well, thank <laughs> you for so much for joining me again there, Hannah. And to my listeners, thank you for following me along on this ride of this deep dive into the <laughs> Purge franchise. Keep your ears and eyes peeled on socials for to see what I will be doing next for the podcast.